Hello and welcome to the Horizon Church podcast. We exist to see lives transformed through Jesus and are located in the heart of Surrey, BC, Canada. To find out more, visit us at horizonchurch.ca. We hope this message blesses and inspires you. Horizon fam, you don't know it, some of you, but I am like, like your cousin here. It's like that guy that shows up every once in a while. And yes, you see the difference between Daniel and I, I'm clearly the better looking one, is that was obvious as soon as I came up. I know you know that. I was thinking about this, Pastor Craig and Shanna, we've known each other now, we can say for decades. It's now decades, which is very fun. I don't know about for you, for me it's fun. I'm like, I love it. I love it. Thanks so much for having me. What a day to be together. Thanks, worship team. So excited to open up God's word and share for a few moments and uh, continue on with what I think God is doing and saying. Every time I, I preach, I write something on my iPad at the top of the page. Like it's the first thing I see. And it's three words. It says, something always happens. That is a quote from one of my heroes, I guess, a man named Daryl Johnson. And uh, I just thought I would read the fullness of the quote today because I just feel like it's in line with what God's doing. He wrote a book. He wrote many. Try to read everything he's ever written. He, but he wrote a book called The Glory of Preaching, written to pastors and preachers. But... This is the first paragraph of his book. It says this, something always happens. Whenever a human being, Bible in hand, stands up before a group of other human beings, invites the gathered assembly into a particular text of the Bible, and as faithfully as possible tries to say again what the living God is saying in the text, something always happens. something transformative, empowering, and life-giving happens. I don't know how you feel about the state of the world. There's lots of things to feel overwhelmed by. And there's a lot of people that are offering their opinions of the solutions to the state of the world. For two years, we've heard people give their opinion on how we deal with pandemics we have opinions on how to deal with war and gas prices and all of those things. There's opinions everywhere. And I don't know which are true all the time. I don't know which are helpful all the time. But what I know is we need Jesus. And not just like Jesus in the sentiment kind of way where we put a little like sign in our bathroom to make us feel better. We need an encounter with the living Jesus. Because I don't have the solutions to all the problems in the world. But if Jesus can be made Lord, and of course he is Lord, but what I want to talk about today is what does it mean for you and I to make him Lord of our lives? Not try to make him Lord of everything else first, but to first... Let him be Lord of my life. Yeah. 
how do we make him him Lord? And so as we pray, what I would ask for all of us is like, I'm sure most of us, maybe not all, but I think a good portion of us have probably sat through something like this before. I can assure you today, you will have heard better sermons than you're about to hear. That's not the point. It's easy to go through the motions and just hear something and move on and go on with our life, but I'm asking that we would pause and suspend this moment and invite the Holy Spirit into this moment to do something transformative, something life-changing, something life-giving in us. So Holy Spirit, we welcome you. Of course you're here. You're always here. But we invite you in these moments to do something in us, to speak, to reshape things in our hearts and minds, to convict and draw us closer to the heart of Jesus. We need you, God. We, we sung it, but we say it again. It's so true. Jesus, we need you more than anything else. We need you, Jesus. So come and speak, we pray. Amen. Something that's true of every one of us in the room, no matter our background, no matter our age, no matter life experiences to this point, what's true of all of us is that we are all mastered by something or someone. The thing that masters us is the thing in our life that holds our highest allegiance, our deepest dedication, and our highest worship. For some, the, the thing, if we were honest and we peeled back all the layers, it's our image that masters us. We have this carefully curated and developed image that we portray to people around us. And that's the thing that holds our highest allegiance in life. It has our worship and our attention. For some, it's our career. That's the thing that gets the best of our heart, the best of our energy, the best of our time. It's this career we're building. For some, it's our family. For others, it's our reputation. For some, it might be our bank account. Some of you are like, I ain't worshiping that thing. <laughs> no, thank you. The question is never, am I being mastered by something? The question is always, what is mastering me? What has my highest allegiance? See, many of these things that tend to master us, many of these things that we give our allegiance to in our life, they promise us something that they simply cannot deliver. But the promise looks good. They'll promise us things like peace. If you just get enough, then you'll feel secure. Then you'll feel peace in your life. They'll promise us strength to endure. They promise fulfillment or comfort or joy. But if you've followed that rabbit hole long enough before, if you've pulled that thread enough, you've come to know that those things make big promises, but they leave us wanting. They always lack. But ultimately, what all of these things do is they try to tell us what we honestly want to hear most in a weird, dark part of our heart. They want to tell us that we can be Lord of our own life. They say, if you give me allegiance, you can call the shots. If you make your life about this thing, then you get to be in control. 
And there's something about the human condition is we don't want to be mastered by anything. We want to think and feel like we're in control of our life, that we're Lord of our own destiny. But we believe as followers of Jesus that to call Jesus king must also mean that we make him Lord of our life. For those who claim the title Christian, it's Christ alone who deserves our highest allegiance, our deepest dedication, our highest worship, and our unwavering obedience. The only rightful Lord is Jesus. One of the titles we love to give Jesus is Prince of Peace. Tends to be one we pull out at Christmas a lot more, but we like that title. Jesus has this title, Prince of Peace. But for Jesus to be Prince of Peace, he must also be King of Kings. And he cannot be King of Kings unless he is also the Lord of Lords. And this is who the scriptures reveal Jesus to be. He's the King of Kings. He's the Lord of Lords. There's nobody like him. Let me read a couple of passages that reveal this to us. Philippians chapter two, verse nine to 11 says, therefore God exalted him being Jesus to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth and every tongue acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. In the letter to the Philippians, Paul declares that God has given Jesus the name that every knee will bow to, that one day every tongue will confess. He envisioned a time where all knees were bowed, that every heart was surrendered to Jesus as Lord. Colossians chapter one, verse 15 to 18 says, the son is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. For in him, all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities, all things have been created through him and for him. For he is before all things and in him all things hold together. He is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning and the firstborn from among the dead so that in everything he might have the supremacy. Who is Jesus? Paul declares again that Jesus is the one who has been given supremacy over all things. He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. He's the head of the church. This is Jesus. He's Lord, he's King, he's above everything. Jesus precedes all others in priority. Jesus exceeds all others in his superiority. Jesus succeeds all others in his finality. And if this is who Jesus is according to the scriptures, the question I must ask myself, the question we must ask ourselves is, is he Lord of my life? Who have I made Lord of my life? Does my life reflect the reality that Jesus is Lord? Or does someone or something else hold that position in my life? Does Jesus actually have my ultimate allegiance before and above everything else? Or does something else have that spot? For many of us in the room, 
it would be true of us to say that Jesus is Savior. But it's a different question to ask if he's Lord. He can be Savior, but is he Lord today? The Lordship Jesus is after in my life and in our lives is one that is marked by relationship and by obedience. And here's the problem. When I look at my life, and when I get a position to maybe look at the state of the church in the West, I think we make two primary mistakes when it comes to lordship. The first is we give Jesus allegiance with our words, but not with our obedience. The second is we give Jesus allegiance with our obedience, but not with our heart. I wanna explore this first error for a minute. We give Jesus allegiance with our words, but not our obedience. I think many Christians, we've reduced our Christian faith down to a moment of decision. It's that moment in a service or with your parents or at a youth camp where you raised your hand and you maybe came to the front and you prayed a prayer and you asked Jesus to forgive your sins. And this is a significant moment it's one we celebrate. It's one we believe the scriptures say that like all heaven rejoices over moments like this. Like, like that's the stuff. We love these moments. But many people stall out in their journey of faith after this moment. It's all about that moment. It's all about that prayer prayed. For many of us, we come to faith in Jesus because we realize he meets a particular need in our life, Right? He found us in a moment of fear. Jesus meets us in our hopelessness. Jesus met us in our despair, our confusion, our pain, or our wandering. And when he found us, he met that need in our life. He gave our life meaning. He gave our life hope. He gave our life joy. He gave our life strength. He met those needs. And this is so often how Jesus meets us. This is how journeys of faith begin. In his kindness and in his grace, he meets human beings in their point of need. And what we come to find is that he's the answer to the deepest need of every human soul. The problem, however, is that many of us rarely progress beyond the point and we develop a relationship with Jesus that becomes contingent on him continually meeting our needs. He meets our needs at the beginning and then we create a relationship based on that same dynamic. Now think about the relationships in your life. Do you, like, if you held a relationship that was all about that person meeting your needs and that's it, that relationship is gonna be fractured and shallow. It doesn't progress beyond that point. We've had a conversion moment, but we hold control of our lives still. Or maybe in other words, We've converted to Christianity, but we have not become disciples of Jesus. We hold allegiance to Jesus in word, but we have not become disciples of Jesus. And here's how this can look. Like we're happy to identify with Jesus as long as he continues to serve me. Like as long as that's straight, then sure, I'm a Christian, high five. We're happy to identify with Jesus as long as there are clear benefits to me. Like as long as he continues to serve my hopes, as long as Jesus continues to serve my dreams, as long as Jesus continues to serve my wishes, then I'm good and I'll hold allegiance 
with Jesus. We're good with Jesus as long as our identification with him doesn't cost us too much or bring too much discomfort into our life. As long as it doesn't cost too much. As long as I get to keep calling certain shots. Those who never move from conversion to discipleship tend to make Jesus in our own image. I've done this so often in my life is I try to make Jesus whoever I want him to be. Have you ever heard this phrase? It's like, my Jesus would never do that. My Jesus. Like there's a part of that that is good and beautiful. I think people are trying to get at this like relationship, like it's personal, but we must be careful because my Jesus cannot be different than your Jesus. I cannot, I'm I'm not afforded the luxury of making Jesus whoever I want him to be. I'm not afforded the luxury of saying, I like these parts of Jesus, but I don't like these parts of Jesus. I can't make him in my own image. I can't make him fit in the boundaries of my own comfort. I can't do it. It's sin, it's heresy to do that. I'm not allowed. I'm not given that. We make him whoever we want him to be, except Lord, often. There's a massive difference between converting to Christianity and being a disciple of Jesus. The primary difference comes down to lordship. Who is actually in control of my life? Who actually makes the decisions of my life? Who's actually confronting my sin? Who is actually telling me move from here and go to here? Who is actually pushing me out of my comfort zone? Who's actually telling me how I spend my money and where I invest my time? Who's actually doing these things? In the Gospels, time and time again, we see Jesus meet people in their place of need. But he's also very clear that he wasn't just looking for lip service in response. He wanted obedience and for people to follow him. In Luke chapter 6, verse 46, Jesus says, Why do you call me Lord, Lord, and do not do what I say? Jesus calls out the hypocrisy. It's one thing to say it with our words, but where does it show up in our obedience? It's easy to obey when the ask is simple, right? When the ask doesn't cost us much. Jesus says, why do you call me that? If your life doesn't reflect it. In John chapter 14, verse 15, he says, if you love me, go to church. No. If you love me, Post something on Instagram. He says, if you love me, keep my commands. He didn't say, if you love me, just say that you love me. He said, show me by the way that you live in your obedience. For those who claim to be disciples of Jesus, acknowledgement of Christ's authority is to be accomplished and accompanied through obedience to his commands. Jesus is the answer to every need we face in life. We can and should go to him in our times of need. But Jesus wants to be Lord of our lives. That means that our allegiance to him can't simply be in word alone. It has to look like obedience. And not just when it's easy, but obedience when it's hard. Obedience when it's costly. 
Obedience when it's uncomfortable. Obedience when you'd be misunderstood by those who would watch. Obedience when it's painful. Because if he's Lord, he's Lord. It's easy to claim Jesus is Lord with our words, but the reality is seen through our obedience. The other way we fail to make Jesus Lord is when we give him our obedience, our external obedience, but we do not give him our heart. I think sometimes I treat Jesus like an ins- more like an insurance broker than Lord. You have in- buy insurance sometimes for things? Why do we purchase insurance? We buy insurance for the day we really need it, when things go really bad. And what do we do to keep up that? We make a contract with the insurance company, right? And so I make regular little deposits every month or so to just keep up my end of the contract. Beyond that, there's a few other things they expect me to obey. They expect me like rules that I have to follow to keep that contract up to snuff so that if something does go bad, I can then extract for myself what I need from that contract. But how many of us have a relationship with our insurance broker? I don't even like going to those places. Every time I go and my insurance goes up, I, I want to yell at the poor lady on the other side of the, the desk, but it's not her fault. She's just doing what the computer says. But this is how many of us treat life with Jesus. We check in just enough to keep the insurance up to date. We keep ourselves in line. So if we don't break any of the rules, that might cost us a lot in the end. Things on the outside look good and right and proper. But Jesus is far from having the affection of our heart. Yes, Jesus wants our obedience, but not in some cold and disconnected way, void of relationship. He's not asking for empty obedience that just keeps us inside the lines. He wants to be Lord of our life, but he wants our heart. In Matthew 7, 21 to 23, Jesus says this, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but only the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. Many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, when did we prophesy? Did we not prophesy in your name and drive out demons and in your name perform many miracles? Then I will tell them plainly, I never knew you. Away from me, you evildoers. This is one of those scriptures that sometimes keeps me up at night. And the scary part is not Jesus' pronouncement that says, away from me, I never knew you. It's the criteria he used to make that pronouncement. The issue wasn't their outward obedience. In fact, on the outside, it looked really good. What what, what would they say they were doing? We were prophesying. We were driving out demons. We were performing miracles. Hey, honest moment, I haven't done any of that in the last seven days. Maybe 14, you might want to go longer if you look at my life. Like, like I don't even match that. What, it looked good on the outside. It looked like, man, we would look at that person and we would be like, they're close to Jesus. Their life reflects life with Jesus. Like, man, they, like, uh, we, we would all want to be more like that. They were doing so many things that most of us would applaud, but they missed what Jesus says is the most important thing. And if we miss this, none of it really matters. 
says, I never knew you. You did all this stuff. You checked the boxes. You gave the money. You went to church. You sang the songs. You, you did all the stuff, but your heart, I never had it. It's possible to live a life of outward obedience from a religious standpoint and miss the will of the Father. The will of the Father is more than external obedience divorced from relationship with his Son. The will of the Father is that we would first know Jesus by grace. And then from relationship with him, we would obey him as Lord. Obedience is important, but not one of us could ever fill the gap that our sin left through our obedience alone. I mean, so many of us, how many, have we tried that? To fill the gap? We understand and recognize where we fall short. It's like, oh, I'm just gonna obey my way out of this. We can't. Only grace can fill the gap. Only the cross can fill the gap. Jesus finds us in our sin and he makes us new. And in response to that, we crown him Lord of our life, which is proven by obedience. I wonder if you feel exhausted today in following Jesus. I wonder if you feel like you've just never done enough. And then maybe when you've done a lot, you don't feel like you've done it good enough. I wonder if you feel like following Jesus is a heavy burden. Like you hear what Jesus says in Matthew chapter 11. He says, come to me, all who are weary and burdened, I will give you rest. He says, take my yoke upon you and learn from me because my yoke is easy, my burden is light, Jesus says. And you read that and you're like, I don't get that. The burden feels heavy. I wonder if anyone feels that way or you felt that way before. And I don't know for sure, but if I were to guess, I would guess that you're probably doing a really good job of obeying Jesus externally, but you haven't given him your heart fully. He's not Lord there yet. You're probably hoping that if you work hard enough, your heart will eventually change, but Jesus works kind of the opposite way. He says, come to me first. Give me your heart first and then let obedience flow from relationship. Remember, lordship that Jesus wants is marked by relationship and obedience, not one or the other. For Jesus, making him Lord is not about obedience alone. To make him Lord means we also give him our hearts. Worship team, can you join me as we prepare to close and respond? This is what it looks like for you and I to make Jesus Lord of our life. He first asks us to give him all of our heart. Remember when Jesus was asked, what's the greatest commandment? He boiled the whole thing down. He's so kind to do that. He says, it's to love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, with all your strength. That's so clear, but it's not so easy to do all the time, is it? Because every moment you and I are awake, something is trying to grab the affection of our heart. Something is trying to get their hooks into our heart and draw not just our attention, but our affection. 
These things, like some of these things I mentioned at the beginning, it's money, it's, it's reputation, it's our status, it's our image, it's all of these things trying to say, give me your allegiance, trying to get our heart. Jesus asked first for you and I to give him our hearts and then he asked that we give him all of our obedience. But can I say, here's how Jesus is so different than lords and kings of our culture, than these other things, people or systems or things that would try to gain our affection. Jesus is so different than all of them. Jesus doesn't demand our allegiance from a distance. Jesus doesn't demand our love and affection from a distance. He doesn't sit far off. Rather, Jesus comes close to you and I. And he removed through his own life and through his own sacrifice the barriers that existed between us and him. The king of glory became human flesh like one of us. And he defeated our greatest enemy, which is sin and death. And now we can choose to crown him king and Lord of our life. He doesn't want to just be savior. He wants to be Lord. He deserves to be Lord. He's worthy to be called Lord. And before we try to make him Lord of culture, and before we try to make him Lord of politics, and before we try to make him Lord of all the other things, can we make him Lord of our own heart? So the question is, where are you today? Who is Lord of your heart? Who holds your highest allegiance? Who captures your worship? Who makes the decisions and calls the shots? Who's in control? I so often put lesser things in the throne of my life. I'm so grateful for the patience of Jesus that no matter how many times I run to other things, no matter how often I give my worship to things that are so much less, he graciously invites me to make him Lord again, to crown him Lord of my life. No matter how many times I fail to obey, he's faithful to forgive. He's faithful to draw me home. Does Jesus have your allegiance in word, but not obedience? Today, make him Lord. Commit before him and in your heart to say, it's not, I'm not calling the shots anymore. I'm not putting, there's no strings attached to my obedience. Does Jesus have your allegiance in your outward obedience, but not your heart? Today, give him your heart. Give it to him fresh today. See, well, I've done that before. I've, I've done it, but man, I need to do it all the time. My heart can be so fickle. My heart is so easily deceived. before we close our service today, I just want to create some space 
for us as individuals to make Jesus Lord. Can we stand? Before the band leads us in singing, if you're comfortable, and you just ask that you just close your eyes and maybe ask Jesus these questions. Jesus, who does have that seat in my heart? Who's actually Lord? And this morning, if it's true of you that it's not Jesus, he will not heap condemnation on your shoulders. Rather, he will invite you to make him Lord again. He's kind and he's gracious. He's patient and loving. Maybe today you're exhausted in following Jesus. I believe Jesus would say to us today, come to me. If you're tired and weary, I will give you rest. And then he will say, take my yoke upon you because my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Jesus, it's so easy for us to give you words that sound like lordship, but continue living as if we're Lord of our life. And Jesus is so easy to slip into the trap of just making it look good on the outside, but our hearts are far from you. So Holy Spirit, you who are constantly exalting Jesus, Holy Spirit, the one who constantly turns us back to Jesus. Holy Spirit, the one who is in us to exalt Jesus. Would you empower us, Holy Spirit, to make you Lord today? Jesus, we make you Lord of our heart, Lord of our life. We submit all of us to you. Would you not just be savior, but also would you be Lord? In Jesus' name, amen. We hope you enjoyed this message from Horizon Church. To find your next step, visit horizonfam.ca. Have a great week.